In The Conquest of Bread, Peter Kropotkin wrote, And yet it is certain that the day when any civilized association of individuals would ask itself, what are the needs of all and the means of satisfying them, it would see that, in industry as in agriculture, it already possesses sufficient to provide abundantly for all needs on condition that it knows how to apply these means to satisfy real needs. You're on the breadline. Welcome to the Breadline Podcast. From Arlington, Texas, I'm Matthew Hodges. From Brooklyn, New York, I'm Anna Marco. And in Missoula, Montana, I'm Mark Wayne. And we're so glad that you decided to join us on this, our very first episode. Thanks for joining me, y'all. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to yeah, be here. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, before we get into the substance of what the show is going to be about, maybe we can start off by introducing ourselves a little bit to the to the audience. Um, Mark, you want to go first? People are going to listen to this? I think so. I think people are going to listen to this. <laughs> oh, no. Um, yeah. Yeah. My name is Mark Wayne. Um, I am currently the youth manager at the youth farm here in Missoula, Montana. Um, it's a small nonprofit farm run by Garden City Harvest. And our whole goal is to, we work specifically with um, teenagers that are in the foster care system and we aim to uh, one teach them you know job and life skills and then also to integrate them in the larger uh, Missoula community uh, via food um, to put it broadly yeah Uh, if people are interested in learning more about specifically what Mark does there's an episode of the liquid flannel podcast that we had you on and uh, we're able to talk about that for a good long time yeah Yeah. thank you Mark Um, Mark yeah that's Mark also good stuff didn't mention that he's exhausted because he's actually a farmer he's out there (laughs) in the fields all the time Uh, it's true yeah that is part of the job Uh, working a really long time and it's just we've gotten, as most of the world has, like some pretty significant temperature spikes here in Missoula recently. So yeah, I feel yeah. What are you? Uh, what are you? What are you harvesting? These uh, let's days? see. Today we just harvested for our CSA, and I think we pulled summer squash, carrots, beets, lettuce, cabbage, uh, mini onions, <laughs> broccoli, kale, nice. chard, <laughs> and I probably forgot some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well mark we're i'm i'm so grateful to you for uh being able to squeeze doing this podcast into your schedule because that's that's a lot you know i'm happy to do it this is important stuff to talk about i know anna also has a pretty thick schedule uh working in a, a different element of the uh of the food community anna introduce yourself um so i'm anna marco um People know me online as Very Small Anna. Um, I'm a pastry chef in New York. Um, so I make fancy overpriced desserts for people with too much money. They look it's, delicious. Those pictures that you post on Twitter are unbelievable. 
Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's also it's it's artistically fulfilling, which is why I do it. Um, I have to I have to a pathological need to scratch that itch. And this is a cool way to do yeah. it. But at the same time, it's a little it's a little soul crushing sometimes sure. knowing that the people I want to feed aren't the ones I get to feed. And, you know, it's 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 tough. It's tough uh, in a really expensive city making really expensive yeah food. no kidding how, how long have you been in the food service industry um i've well i've been here for about nine years working um before that i was i've always been service industry i was in retail before i started cooking professionally but i had some random kitchen and restaurant jobs you know growing up um i did you know some i did some time scooping ice cream at friendlies and I um, worked in the kitchen at a uh, nursing home in my hometown for a while, too. So um, it's always been something I've been interested in. And I've always been like as a kid, I was always obsessed with food. So it's not really surprising what I do now for a living. (laughs) And you have a little bit of podcasting experience on food issues also, don't you? Yeah, um, I'm also um, a member of uh, the Discourse Collective. Um, I haven't done an episode in a while. like, because, you know, as you mentioned, my schedule is ridiculous. And, and because we sniped you, to... we, we stole you away from them. Yeah, I got I got stolen. But, you know, <laughs> there's it's it, there's nobody owns me. There's enough of me to go around if, if need be. Nice. Um, yeah, we did. A, we did a food episode. Um, that was the first and only episode I ever hosted. Um, I don't know how listenable it is because it sounds terrible to me, but that's just because I put the work into it um but there was there was so much more over the course of what i was researching so much more that i actually wanted to touch on and talk about and we just kind of stuck to one one theme which was um trying to convince people to replace their lawns with with edible plants hey a worthwhile Um, pursuit though absolutely it it really is it really is yeah so you know it was it was not a lost cause but there is so much more to explore well uh i'll I'll do me briefly i'm matthew hodges uh i live in texas right now but i've i've lived all over the country mostly in the great plains uh mark and i actually met working on one of the garden city harvest farms in missoula um, which is really my big introduction to food issues and i've been uh passionate uh, activist on food issues ever since then. I've volunteered on a number of different community farms and gardens. And um, for the past three years, I've been heavily involved with the uh, Meals and Wheels of Tarrant County. Uh, I'm a licensed attorney, uh, not currently practicing. That's why I'm podcasting. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, my my emphasis in law school and grad school were both around the ideas of the intersections of environmental work with uh, social and um, class justice. So uh, I'm hoping that we do get to talk about a bunch more of these issues and uh, each of us bring our our particular skills and perspectives to those discussions. So um, on that note, I think it's time for us to talk about, you know, what's the mission statement for this show? Uh, When I first had the idea for it, it wasn't an idea for doing my own podcast. It was, here's what I want there to be as a podcast somewhere. I want there to be a podcast that looks at food issues through the lens of 
class justice, social justice, and environmental justice. And there are some really good food podcasts out there, but I don't know that anyone has really drilled down uh, on a, specifically the economic justice angle, which, you know, if you're following some of the elections that are going on right now, people are becoming much more uh, class conscious. They're becoming more, uh, I guess you would say, radicalized into you know, leftist economics and leftist politics. And so the the idea, I think, for what the breadline will be is an introduction for food activists to leftist politics and an introduction or a, a further inveigling for leftist activists into food issues. Yeah, this is this is something that I think um is is sorely needed. Because it's just, you know, I have to constantly have to choose between food podcasts and leftist podcasts when I'm looking for something to listen to. And it's, it's tough to, to find that intersection of people who know anything about food and know anything about the, the political implications of it. Sure. Well, and, uh, you know, there, there are a bunch of different ways to have this kind of conversation, but I've been really inspired lately by all of the the activists who are actually out there um, on the ground getting their hands dirty. And one goal that I have for the show is to demonstrate those principles, demonstrate why this approach to food issues and leftism is the right way to do it by bringing on actual activists who are working in their communities where food intersects with one of these other justice issues and let them tell us what works. I would like for this show to end up being something that other activists can listen to and will sort of slowly build a toolbox of best practices and considerations and here are the challenges and here are the successes we've had. Here's how we interface with our local government or here's how we leverage uh another community relationship that we didn't necessarily think of before um you know hopefully people will go away from episodes of this program knowing a lot more about actual activists being able to support their projects and learn from them yeah and hopefully maybe you know participating in some activism of their own you know yeah absolutely it's funny to say this because we're here to talk about all these things, but it's so easy to talk about, you know, doing something. And I frequently go to conferences and different things like that where everybody's talking about doing stuff, but nobody's just hitting the ground and doing it. And I would love to hear from more people that are in that boat. This theory versus praxis. Yep. So, um, you know, I think, I think just to give people a taste of what, you know, the kinds of topics they might hear about on this program. Uh, I have my my master list of issues here, and I'm just going to read off of it a little bit. Okay, so under food production, I have listed industrialized agriculture, cafos, under food access, commodity chain analysis, food deserts, class and race funded food, in agricultural production, soil justice, class dynamics, gentrification, environment, Okay, okay, okay. That's uh Okay. 
Why don't why don't maybe let's narrow the focus a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, we've got we've got plenty of uh plenty of episodes to cover all those. Um Okay. okay. If you guys want to talk about something more more specific for a minute, um there's kind of a kind of a a whole brunch controversy going on. Um on, yeah, I hear that it's uh, it's now racist and, and it's it's ho- it, yeah it's homophobic to, to hate on brunch. Um, and right. I I had to I had to uh, mute my own thread about it after you know twelve million re- angry replies and and people telling me that you know how how dare I shit on something they love. Um, <laughs> but guys, I looked into it and brunch is really bougie and it always has been. And it was actually the meal that the upper class would come home to after they went on a fox hunting party or whatever that the servants would spend all morning preparing for them. Um, and <laughs> you mean they didn't eat the fox? No, that's no, that's for show. <laughs> That's well fox hunting fox hunting is pretty relatable to you know the working class of America, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> there's there is nothing I love uh more before a twelve hour shift than a good fox hunt. That really that really gets me going in the morning. It's sure it's just hopping on your thoroughbred steed and Yeah, uh, yeah, which I totally keep in my, my backyard in Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> now, do you still wear the do you still wear the sharp outfit when you're back there working twelve hour shifts? Yeah, I just put the I put the chef coat on uh, over over the the little epaulets. Um, it's a little little right, pulpy, right. but you know you do what you got to do. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So brunch brunch is bougie and it is upper class and it is it always has been a snobby, obnoxious meal. Um, you know, uh, during during prohibition, the upper class would meet for brunch to clandestinely day drink when alcohol was illegal. (laughs) Uh, It was something that was practiced by fraternities, um, you know, back when there was, there were no women or or anybody of color in college. So it's always been a very, very white, very rich thing. And it's no, nobody should ever have to cook brunch. Nobody should ever, ever, ever have to do it. I did it for a while. It was terrible. I'll never make another omelet again. Um, the secret, <laughs> by the way, to a good egg white omelet is about half a stick of butter in the pan. Sorry. Um, that's a secret to almost it, it is. It is. Say. But it's like, otherwise, you're not going to get that out of the pan. That's a frittata. Come on. Don't, don't stop <laughs> fooling yourselves. Nobody's making you a, a fat-free omelet. Um, All right. <laughs> Well, the, so the the class dynamics of of brunch, yeah, that is that's a thing that we should dig into a little bit more. Mark, you had you had a, a more specific thing to drill down on, uh, just an ex- as an example for this, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and and you know, at the risk of shameless self promotion. Uh, oh, that's that's what this is about, man. We're podcasters. Hell yeah! <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so. I mentioned earlier that one of the things that we aim to do is to integrate the youth that we work with into the larger Missoula community through food. Um, One of the ways that we try to do that is specifically by having them get good, healthy, fresh, organic produce to seniors in the community who have a lack of access to it. Um, We do do that in a number of ways. Uh, We have a mobile market that we do that we could talk about some other time, but 
the one that's fresh on my mind because I am actively prepping for it and will continue to prep for it when we get done recording this uh, is our congregate meals, um, our first of which this season we'll be putting on later this week, where we have our kids help us plan a menu. We partner with Missoula Aging Services, which is a, a organization in town that just gets seniors out and participating in different activities. Um, and we make food, you know, 80% of which is all from the farm. You know, we have a few supplementary ingredients that we always try to source as locally as possible. And then we serve it up for all these seniors, sit down, eat with them, talk with them. You know, um, they get to fuss over the kids. The kids get to talk to them and hear their stories. And you get to see a lot of beautiful interactions while everyone is sharing a lot of really good food that most of these people probably wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Oh, that's that wonderful. is awesome. That's wonderful. And that's that's so close to my heart, too, because working with Meals on Wheels, you yeah, know, absolutely. it's another one of these intersections with, you know, food access for the elderly and disabled populations. And that's that's a thing that I'm hoping that we will we will be able to talk about a lot on this show. I would love that. Yeah. 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 Um, I had a, a couple sort of ripped from the headlines ones uh, to talk about. Uh, anybody who's already following the breadline on Twitter saw my tweet the other day about how there's this tick. And this has been NPR has been reporting on this. And there's this tick that if it bites you, it does something to you and it makes you allergic to red meat, I, at least for a while. I know multiple people who have who have Lyme disease that affects what they can eat, including that. Right. Uh and now the uh, they're they're looking at why is this tick expanding its range, and probably the best answer is climate change is causing it so the ticks don't die off in areas where they used to. So knowing that red meat production is a major driver of climate change, you get an interesting little environmental feedback loop going here where we make too much red meat drives up the temperature takes expand their range and all of a sudden a bunch of people can't eat red meat anymore so um mother nature sorting itself out but uh the the more the more serious one is of course the ice detention centers and family separation policy under the trump administration um and how hard this is coming down on migrant families, especially from Central and South America. And everybody is talking about the cages. They're talking about the blankets. They're talking about all of the other just ghastly shit that's going on. Um, and one thing that I haven't seen a ton of reporting on is what are these children eating? Like, are they getting... Are they getting school lunch quality food? Are they getting food of the quality that care packages sent to Puerto Rico? I just assumed it was brunch. <laughs> <laughs> Mimosas. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely pick picture the, the packages going to Puerto Rico. Was it like an airhead? Well, was the fruit? It was not yeah it was, it was uh, airheads and Doritos and um, like packages of Oreos. When you look at the stuff that they're talking about, you know, uh, putting in the boxes, if the amendments to SNAP get passed, you know, we're talking about like shelf-stable milk. We're talking about like powdered milk, right. and like, you know, dried cereals and stuff. Like this is not – for people that are already going through what I must like imagine has to be an incredibly traumatic and stressful time, 
you know, that's not going to be helped by having nutritionally bereft food shoved in your face. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, even just, you know, canned tomatoes versus tomatoes that you can buy at the grocery store. Totally. Well, so those are, you know, audience, those are just three small examples of the kinds of things that we're looking forward to being able to explore on this. Uh, We will be looking forward to any and all input that you want to send us on that. If there's a topic that you feel like we've neglected or if there's a news article that caught your eye that you think we might be interested in looking into, if you know somebody who works in any realm of uh, the food community who has something specific to say about how their work addresses these other social issues, please do contact us. Um, I'll, I'll do the plug for where you can reach us on the show, but um, I think we've we've run pretty long already for, for a first episode. So I want to do uh, a few special thanks here. Uh, I want to particularly thank auntie jane who composed our amazing theme music and also my very good friend also also my very good friend nick gallo who designed our logo it's bad it's Um, badass yeah yeah uh he is i mean he does just great design work he loves doing that kind of thing so if you want to get in touch with him for doing that kind of thing please contact me on twitter uh, and I can put you in touch. Uh, I want to thank a good friend of mine and Mark's, Kate Sheridan, yeah. uh, who was who Thanks, was Kate. one of our one of our first uh, big promoters. Um, she did an amazing amount of brainstorming with me about um, what this show could be. I want to thank Theo Kretschmar Schuldorf. I want to thank all of the hosts at various other podcasts I've reached out to, uh, especially the ones at Revolutionary Left Radio. Uh, the Lush Left podcast and the Kudzu Commune. Uh, I, I also thank our comrades at Nebraska Antifa, who provided me with a bunch of reading material. That guys, I'm still going through it, awesome. but um, it's 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 all going to be very helpful. Uh, I want to thank uh, Samuel Miller McDonald, who also pointed me toward a bunch of material that I think is going to be handy on this show, and uh, another friend of Mark's and mine, Lindsay Warshaw, for. Um, putting us in touch with people and um, for the for the moral support and we also made a whole bunch of friends on Twitter uh, including and I may not get to everybody but um, Spindly Pete, Comrade Shepard, Jetta Ray, Communal Sauce, uh, Qasem Rashid, Salam Bati, Mariah Gladstone, Ina Winona Tonka uh, and Everybody in the eco-socialist direct message group, uh, everybody has been just incredibly supportive and helpful with coming forward with with material and topics. And uh, really, we we could not have gotten to the point of having our first episode without all of that mutual support. So we're incredibly grateful for that. I think uh, I think the three of us ought to say where you can find us on social media if you want to follow us yourselves. Yeah, I think I'm uh, at Jujitsu Farmer on Twitter. Anna, where, where can they find you on social media? Uh, You're on Twitter uh, twi- and Instagram. Yep, right? Twitter at Very Small Anna and the same Instagram. Uh, Instagram, I keep mostly professional, meaning it's a lot of pictures of food. If you're interested in what I <laughs> right. do, if you're interested in me yelling at people, that's Twitter. Uh, she is hilarious and super engaging on Twitter. So Thanks, if you I, follow I her there. <laughs> Uh, I am on Twitter and on Instagram at Matt the Great with a W. 
Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at the Breadline Pod. Uh, we'll be on SoundCloud and on iTunes, so please do engage with us there. If you like the show, please share it around to your friends. And we're going to get a Patreon off the ground here pretty soon, though that's not quite set up. But um, Mark and Anna, thank you so much for making time in your busy schedules to sit down and record this. Uh, it's been, yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome. This yeah, is this excited. is a dream. So I, I think we're, we're on to something really good here, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah, I'm really excited. Me too. All right. Well, audience, thank you so much for being with us on this, our first episode. And you can look forward to much more content on all of the channels that we just mentioned. And stay hungry. The Breadline is produced by Matthew Hodges. Our theme music was composed by Jane Stewart, who's working to find on Twitter at Inscrutable Jane. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.